I think I am probably not alone at this moment in admitting that this is the first I've ever heard of this situation, GSA. How much is known about genetic sexual attraction? Well, what we do know about GSA, it's also known as familial attraction, fetal attraction, genetic attraction, which we can all understand in Mm -hmm. a way. But it's a sexual component where biological relatives engaging in sex, having sexual relationships. That's clearly the most problematic and the discomforting part. Well, and obviously one of the fundamental taboos of our society in almost every way. Mm -hmm. What do we know about the extent to which this is something unique to adoptive situations? Well, it is specifically unique to adoptive situations. Genetic sexual attraction is associated with adoptive reunions. Mm -hmm. This is where people, aside from having a biological connection, are complete strangers. And and although not many people have heard of GSA in the general public, it's happening around the world, wherever adoptions take place. It's recognized by adoption agencies. Uh, It's recognized by provincial governments. When when an adoptee or birth parent registers on the registry, they get a little pamphlet talking Mm -hmm. about GSA. We don't know about that unless we're in this circle. Uh, Psychologists, psychiatrists who specialize um, in adoption uh, are slowly beginning to talk about GSA. And I have to remind you and those listening that when we think of adoptees, they're not children. These are people who are meeting as adults. So let's say a 30-year-old woman meeting her 47-year-old father for the first time, a 30-year-old man meeting his 46-year-old mother. Mm. These age differences are, are minimal because when the child was given up for adoption, it happened when, when the mother was around 13 to 17 years old. And so the relationship dynamics can happen um, in, in many ways. This is between reunited mother and son, father, daughter, uncles, uh, nieces, aunts, nephews. Most commonly, though, uh, GSA happens between siblings. So genetic sexual attraction is is medically considered to be what, a psychological condition? Well, a lot of people say, is falling in love Hmm. a psychological condition? This is so complicated. It's a psychological reaction to an adoption reunion. A very small study that was done on GSA in 1992. This is by a psychiatrist at the University College London named Dr. Maurice Greenberg. He's also a consultant at London's post-adoption center, and it's the only academic study done of only 40 people. What he had found, what Greenberg found, that genetic sexual attraction is a normal response to an extremely unusual situation, blood relatives meeting as strangers like I've mentioned. The end result is is this deep physical and emotional attraction that just completely sw- sideswipes people who, who experience it. And what are the theories as to why they experience it, why it happens? Oh, that's the question I've been asking. There are so many reasons. Um, science is interesting. Um, I've heard from people over and over again. It's phenomenal to meet someone for the first time who has the same temperament, the same mannerism, the same likes, the same dislikes, sometimes the same appearance. And these are all mirrored back. And is that the genetic part of the genetic sexual attraction? Exactly. That these are people who share the same genes? Exactly. That, that, that's completely right. A person can smell and feel their own genes. Studies have also looked at the role of pheromones. At a subconscious level, the smell of one's own family is recognizable, and that can cause a physical reaction. And so can the touch of someone's skin. I've also heard the voice. 
I've heard his voice for the first time. Imagine hearing someone's voice that is similar like yours. So when we combine these uh, physiological aspects with the feeling of loss and, and trauma that's associated with adoptions, and then we add the excitement and the fantasy of finally meeting someone in an adoption reunion, this leaves people vulnerable to genetic sexual attraction. M many adoptees that I've talked to and birth parents have this sense of loss. So when they reunite, there's this acceptance of finally meeting someone that just accepts them. And like I said, it's like, like it's been described to me, it's like falling in love. Now, we've said off the top that this is a very rare occurrence. What exactly does that mean? Do we know how frequently it happens? Do we know to whom it happens, how well, many people? This is so difficult to quantify because um, anecdotally, I'm told that it's not unusual. Uh, there's an adoption expert. Uh, his name is Pastor Bill Bossert. He used to be with an adoption group in Oregon. And he says that um, deep attraction happens in almost half of the reunions. It's only natural that you have this deep attraction. Now, the sexual component, it can't be quantified. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody checks off that, yes, this has happened to me. Um, there's this shame, the confusion, there's secrecy. Mm -hmm. There's uh, the repulsion factor um, uh, where people will not speak um, to anybody about it, not to, even to adoption counselors, to psychiatrists, definitely yeah. not to family and friends. And, and feelings like those, the, the mm -hmm. guilt, the shame, even the repulsion, as you put it, I suppose are all understandable given that this is one of the most forbidden areas of personal relationships. Uh, it is. It is the most um, forbidden area. And... And these people who experience GSA do recognize that. They're torn apart by these feelings, ripped inside. I'm seeing the faces of the people that I've met. I can see it uh, in their eyes. Um, I, I can feel it. Nobody goes into an adoption reunion wanting to or even thinking of having a sexual relationship with a biological family member. So um, rationally they know that it's wrong. What's remarkable, Aziza, is that you've brought us today stories of people who have been through this as told by them. Yes, and um, one thing as we listen to these profiles is that we need to respect their stories as we um, digest this and absorb it. Um, what you are going to hear is uh, I spoke to a mother who gave her son uh, up for adoption when she was 16 years old. Uh, she agreed to meet with me for coffee and tell me her story. So let's listen to the first profile of Aziza Sindhu's documentary, Forbidden Love, Genetic Sexual Attraction. And I think I had my little blue hospital gown on, and he had his little blanket on. I just remember spending that hour with him, looking into his eyes and checking his, that he had all his fingers and toes. And I said, you know, I want you to have a happy life and be healthy and all the things that mothers wish for their children. And I said, I will... Um, I will see you again. Yeah. Because I knew that I would um, somehow, even this young 16-year-old that I was, I... <laughs> I mean, it happened so long ago, but there's parts of it that are so... Um... But I do remember riding um, on the bus, the gray Greyhound, and I remember seeing myself um, reflected in the windows of the bus, you know how you do, and um, I was crying, and I just felt um, really desolate, yeah. For a long time I was registered on the passive registry, 
for years because that's all there was and if he would have been registered too we could have had that choice well he wasn't so then when it moved to the active then I got on that and so that then the person is found basically and then they have the choice of, of saying yes or no but he said yes I went to the bay, I think it was, and I found just the perfect items. And it was a pair of blue pants, like sort of powder blue, and a pale yellow blouse, and a really neat jacket with some really neat edging on it, kind of a tan one. And my hair was just at the right length. I wanted to look just right, like I didn't want to be a disappointment in any way. Somehow I was conscious of that. He came around the corner of this little walkway, and I knew instantly it was him. Like, I knew we just hugged, and not a hug where, you know, that formal sort of hug where everyone's really stiff. It was just a really good hug. His um, cheeks are like mine and his eyes, and the only part of him that's not is a bit his chin, and his nose is a bit bigger than mine, and I just thought he was absolutely perfect. I touched his hair or something. I said, don't go away. I need to go to the washroom now, and don't go away. And he said... Now I know what it's like to see my own, he said, my own kind. And I just thought that was incredibly um, poignant. He said, we're the same kind. <laughs> and I just, what he meant was, like, his flesh, I mean, it was a huge moment for him. Like, he, I had at least a memory of holding him as a baby. And he never, but he never knew that. He was never really aware that he had kind of had that need. About two weeks maybe into it, maybe ten 10 days to, to two weeks. Something's really going on here. Like, this is, like, feeling really bizarre, but I think I'm, like, falling in love with this person. Like, I loved him always, but there's a difference between loving someone and, like, being in love with them. It's, like, sexually attracted to him, which stemmed from both of us kind of touching each other a lot, like wanting to hold, just hold hands as mother and son, and it grew from that, and kind of not wanting to let each other go at each meeting, because we didn't, there was some part of us that thought, maybe this will be it again. Like, I'd caress his hair, and, and he welcomed all that, so it didn't, it wasn't just like suddenly all, all we, suddenly we were like grappling, and we were physical, and wanting to have sex. It wasn't like that, it was like I knew, and I thought, okay, I gotta get a grip here, because I didn't know if any of this was going on for him. I mean, I knew he liked me as his mother, and everything, and that we really connected, but I thought, I have to really get my shit together so I did some stuff on the internet and I came up with the GSA he came I think on his lunch hour or after work we met I said I've got something to say something that's been going on and I really don't know how to approach it and I think maybe if you read this you'll understand some of what I'm going through so he did and I said well I haven't known how to talk about this with you and I have to say like I think that I'm experiencing this with you and like these sexual feelings that talks about in this article and then he said, well, I can relate to that. I know it's crazy because I know, like, my head knows you're my mother, but to me, you're, in my heart somehow and in my body, you're not. Like, I know you're my mother, but I don't think of you that way. And so we talked a lot for quite a, I think, a few days about the whole thing and about I knew he was my son in my head, but I didn't really think of him, I don't know, we just wanted to be close. Like we just wanted to um, experience what that was like. We didn't. We didn't talk about it. About like having sex. 
like you do with a boyfriend, say. No, it wasn't like that. We kind of gave ourselves permission to, to do more hugging. We were spending almost all our time together, so it was just a natural progression. We didn't say, okay, tonight's going to be the night. So I do remember the night that we, we did, and it was, like, amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. The most amazing thing that I'd ever experienced with anybody. Actually, I think before that or even since then, it was because, you know, you've got everything. I mean, I, I was just... He said, I finally found the most perfect person in the world for me in every way, and she turned out to be my mother. I know it's denial or whatever you want to call it, but it was just like we didn't want the outside world in. It, we went along in that little cocoon for as long as we possibly could, really. But then over time, you know, the, the shame and the guilt and the, the secrecy of it. And I had one girlfriend that didn't, um, that I trusted, and her husband, I guess, had a huge problem with it, and I wasn't allowed to go to their house, like, anymore. I've still never, like, had a meal with them at their house, so things like that happened. started losing my partner, because he knew about it. He discovered my son and I. He was standing there with, like, a bouquet of flowers in his... Um, arms just thinking he was going to have a nice meeting with me and that was the night I told him for sure what what he'd already suspected and that was I just felt so bad for him I was just heart sick and he left he just basically left it was just too hard it was like we either have to go away and live together somewhere and try that life or stay here and you know stop doing what we're doing and you have to remember that this person wasn't 15 or 17. This was, in my case, a 30-year-old male, totally consenting adult male. And I, I don't regard it as incest, incest in the strict uh, sense of the word. No, I just don't. How do I make my peace with that? Um, I slept with my son and he slept with his mother. And um, because of the circumstances of it, it, doesn't, it shouldn't, in my view, have the same label as incest. Sometimes when, when my son's not doing well, I think, is it because I screwed him up with what happened? Yeah, I do do that. I was already too far in it. I, what if I'd known back in the early days of counseling? and what, I would have appreciated knowing about it, and I didn't. We have come totally full circle and been able to come out the other end, literally, and have a really close relationship. And he actually said to me, and I feel the same way, he said, it kind of makes me feel sick to my stomach when I think I slept with my mother. Like, and that's good. That's good, actually, because that's normal. Like, I finally got to the place where I'm like his mother, kind of. Not really, but kind of. And that's a good thing. That's a blessing. That is truly remarkable. Um, she says, Aziza, that yeah. she doesn't believe it was incest. But, And I can understand how she would say want that. to believe that and mm -hmm. say that. But how could it be anything but? Well, in the, Bob, in the strictest biological sense, of course it is. But we must add a, a qualifier. In GSA relationships, there is no force, there's no coercion, um, usually no betrayal of trust. This isn't about abuse, which incest is. Um, and this isn't about power and control. It's a not a parent-child relationship or a sibling relationship. 
I talked to Diane Mathis, who's a Canadian expert, who's the Canadian expert on uh, genetic sexual attraction in Toronto. She counsels people who are involved in GSA. And she herself is an adoptee. And this is what she has to say about this idea of incest. When the families have legal ties to each other, we see that as incest. Um, it's more complicated in this area because these are not people who have re had relationships. I mean, the birth mother who meets her adult son has not raised that child, um, hasn't done all the parental roles with that child, whether it's diapering him or being there when he was sick. She hasn't had all that. She's got this deep wound and loss and maternal feeling for him, but she's getting a man back. Um, she has no legal relationship to him whatsoever. She, she's relinquished all of those rights. I, I don't know that it's anyone's place um, when it doesn't fall under the, the definitions that we have as a society to judge or decide what it is. Um, it has lots of, of difficulties in it, um, but these are not people who fall under the definition of incest. So picking up on what mm. Diane Mathis just said, it, it seems the crucial point here is that genetic sexual attraction may stem from the fact that though these are two individuals who are biologically related, mm -hmm. they weren't in contact at that, at that very early and crucial stage when most fathers and mothers bond with their child. Yeah, yeah. It's the entire reason behind GSA. It's the result of adoption, of being adopted or giving a child up for adoption and subsequently having that reunion. Um, I'm going to tell you about the Westermark theory discovered by anthropologist Edward Westermark. He noticed that when two people live in close domestic proximity during the first few years in life, uh, they're desensitized to any sexual attraction. It's been observed uh, on the Israeli kibbutz system, uh, a form of communal living. It's been observed in the Simpua marriage customs in China. And of course, this theory is observed in families, whether they're biological families or adoptive families. We just don't have these sexual feelings for each other when we live together. Right, be that as it may, the, the mother we've just listened to certainly seemed to be at the very least, conflicted about what it is she's been feeling. Well, of course. I mean, and this isn't surprising. It's very, uh, it's rare where GSA cases involve into stable relationships. I have heard of them mm -hmm. where they do, um, where people make peace with what many view uh, as this taboo. But in most cases, these relationships don't last, and they can't last. GSA throws people who experience it. There's a bit of a, a psychological tug of war that occurs, and I'm going to let Diane Mathis explain. Some people are saying, I've lived my whole life being a good husband, a good father, a good provider, a stable citizen. I've met this woman. I've never felt like this in my life. I've never been happier. I've never felt more alive. I, I can't walk out on my family, but I can't leave this. I've, I've never in my life um, felt this kind of love. Um, and they're overcome with guilt and confusion and loss and pain. Um, other people are saying, I, I, I don't want to cross that line. I, I want to find a way to love this child and to bring him or her close to me. And, and I don't want to do that, but I'm having all these big emotional and sexual feelings happen. What do I do? Just stop seeing my daughter, my son? So it's it's a whole, I mean, these are not people who are saying, 
yippee, isn't this great? I've fallen in love. These are people who have had a need and a feeling stirred in them so deeply that it's rocking the core of who they thought they were, what they need, how they understand things, um, and their worlds. Um, and, and they're struggling. I think as he's a struggling is, is understatement. A, an understatement at the least. And, and it's not hard to comprehend, even, even mm-hmm. coming to grips with this for the first time, that with so many fundamental and conflicting and unexpected emotions going on, that for something to find yourself in the middle of something like this would simply toss your life as you know it upside down. And, and Bob, this isn't uh, the average tragic love story. I've heard of a man who, who committed suicide because he was living with mm. his sister for 17 years, and they met in, in an adoption reunion. The guilt for him was just completely unbearable. Um, I also know of a woman who had a child with her brother that she met uh, in their 30s. So uh, he's, he's disowned her and the son because he can't cope with this. The family that she met, uh, her biological family, despises her and vice versa. Um, her family doesn't like him. So um, what we need to, we need to go back to the basics. We need to imagine sex obviously starts with touching. Uh, we all know that. Uh, two people, um, when they meet in adoption reunions, they touch a lot. We heard that from the mother. The mother caresses the son. The son welcomes that. They didn't have that. So obviously what happens is when you get two people who are alone, who are touching a lot, and they're adults, and they're strangers, they get sexually aroused. And, and it happens in regular relationships, as we know it. And you've got another profile. Yeah, and this profile really explores how GSA relationships affect more than just two people. Um, it's not just two people who reunite. It's two sets of families that often reunite. And this is how it touches their families, um, their children, and their spouses. This is a story of a man who fell in love with his sister and how it affected his marriage. So let's listen to the second profile of forbidden love, genetic sexual attraction. We're sitting on the couch just with our feet up on the coffee table, and the emotional attraction was just beyond anything I have ever felt in my life, and I just felt like I had met my soulmate, the one that you don't think you possibly will ever meet, and you think you'd be lucky if you ever did, and nothing prepared me for that feeling at that moment, it feeling just right. The moment when you just realize that the person that you've just met, you want to put your arms around them and hold them and kiss them. We held each other, we kissed each other, was not the kiss that you would, a brother and a sister would kiss each other. It was the kiss of, the first time kiss of two people that were really attracted to each other that wanted more. It was the most perfect feeling I'd ever felt in my life. I had never felt anything like it and probably never will again. It was spiritual, to say the least. Um, It was completing. um, Overpowering. It was... uh, It was the most exquisite moment of my life. My heart wanted to just leave my rest of my life and just walk away into the sunset with this person. I tried to go to sleep, pretended to go to sleep. I was there in the bed next to my wife and I just was absent. It was, paral- it was paralyzing. I was in a coffee shop 
I just looked at him and I said, you're having an affair. And he said, how, what do you mean? And I said, well, I think that this is, is with your biological sister. And he said, yes, he said it is. And he cried and he couldn't understand why he was feeling the way he was because he was so frightened. He was so frightened of it. He had a hole in his heart. Something was missing. It was always missing. He was always searching, always looking for something that was missing. It's like there was a parallel thing, two parallel things going on together. One was the adoption reunion of uh, me and a birth family, and one was my soulful reunion of me and my soulmate. I just felt this darkness descending over me. You know, I don't think my life's going to be worth living. And uh, the impossible position of knowing something was absolutely right at the same time knowing that you can never have it. It was the most personal secret that I've ever had inside me. And, uh... um, I mean, the only word that, that is known for it is incest. And that is not acceptable in society, and it's not acceptable by anybody. And I thought, well, he's not capable of that. So what is this? If it's not that, what is it? I don't even know what incest is. I, it wasn't incest to me. Uh, absolutely not didn't even occur to me. That's just a tawdry kind of a cheap, that cheapens the whole thing. It was nothing about incest or it's nothing about sex either. People who think that and at that level just are missing the point and they need to think about it a little deeper than that. Incest is a thing that happens that's, that there's a position of power or abuse and anybody that thinks this is that needs to reevaluate that because that's just absolutely wrong. It's a bigger, bigger thing than that probably about six, seven years, yeah, of hell, maybe longer. I felt extremely alone because there was help for adoptees. There was nothing for the, the uh, immediate families. There was no help. Um, my husband went to a support group, and he brought home a lot of information, and, uh, which was very helpful. But I couldn't go to the meetings, so I had nobody to help me, and he was trying to help himself. He couldn't help anybody at the time. He was so devastated. And I remember there was one paltry little three-line paragraph in some article that I don't even remember where it was now, that sometimes this can happen. It didn't, I just skimmed over it. And so in the back of my mind, I guess I had had some awareness that there are many issues around adoption reunions and this being one of them, but I'd never really thought about it too much. I haven't met any other brother, sister. I've met a, a mother, mother, son, two mother, son ones. I've met a father, daughter. I met uh, one more woman she was a birth mother that that had these feelings and fell in love with her birth son and he was you know 14 years different in age from her and they were both fully grown adults and i remember her saying i never forget it when i was with him i just felt like i wanted to unzip myself and wrap myself around him completely and he felt the same way that he just wanted to blend physically and emotionally and soulfully completely they just wanted to absorb into each other and I remember her saying that, and I thought, yeah, I know that feeling. There were a lot of tears, a lot of uh, terror, terror. Our kids certainly never wanted to see this sister. They never wanted to see her. I was honest with them. I told them that there was this genetic thing called genetic attraction, and uh, that this had happened, and that it was odd, and I described it to them as they are brother and sister, and how, you know, little children, they, they look at each other with such joy and such adoration on their faces as brothers and sisters. But then again, they have sibling rivalry, and I described that to my children, and, 
and said, well, that never happened. So you just have pure love. I treated it as if it was an occurrence in life, one of the growing pains of life. I didn't want to harm them, and I didn't want them to hate their father. That's just, I remember them saying, that's just so wrong. That's, there's, nothing, um, there's nothing right about that. It's just weird. I remember them saying that it was just really strange, and it was a big issue for them to even grapple with. The notion of that between them is just, like, gross. It hurt me a lot, and it hurt them a lot. I said to her that I could only share him as a brother to her, not as a partner. And she sobbed and cried, and she did not know what to do. And I felt for her. I felt, I felt sadness for her that she was having such a tough time with this, just as my husband was, because I knew that this was something totally different than an affair. It was, that's about the point when I realized that there was something else. Um, I'm pretty sure we won't see her again. She wanted to completely sever any contact with me. I don't feel like I'm struggling with it anymore. Um, I guess a part of me feels a little bit of a loss, but, you know, I've got over that a long time ago and just decided, you know, you have to live with what, what you got right here, right now, make the best of it, because that's an impossible situation that will only produce a lot of pain. They're not bad people. Neither one of them are bad people. They didn't, they didn't um, look for this to happen. They didn't choose for this to happen. They didn't... It just happens. It, it, it was like a brother and sister meeting, at like a two-year-old and a three-year-old. That's what it was like. It wasn't like, but with adult feelings. It was discovery. It was discovery. Trying to discover who each other was. Like, who are you? And how come you're so much like me? We're listening to Forbidden Love, profiles of adoptees who experience something known as genetic sexual attraction when reunited with their biological family members. And I'm joined again by CBC producer Aziza Sindhu. Aziza, in both of the profiles you mm -hmm. brought us today, the feelings these people experience seem to have caught them totally off guard, which, again, is understandable. They come across almost as feeling helpless, not knowing at all what, what to do. Are there specific options for people who find themselves in a situation like this? Well, there are some ways to prevent this, and this is why these people were even willing to speak with me in the first place. Um, they say that there needs to be more education around the subject uh, and around people uh, reuniting and, and their families uh, need to know uh, that GSA happens, that it's serious. Don't be repulsed by it, that it's normal, mm -hmm. that we need to bring this out into the open because as, as there are more adoption reunions, we'll hear more about this. I talked to Barb Gagno. She's a leading expert, uh, world expert uh, on genetic sexual attraction. Um, in the 80s, she wrote a book, I'm His Mother and He's Not My Son. Um, she wasn't very popular when she wrote this at the time. Um, this is about her sexual attraction to her son. It wasn't consummated because he didn't feel this way, and she met him when he was 30 years old. She's also an adoption counselor, and she has a website called Genetic Sexual Attraction. Just to give you an idea, in 2004, there were 400 hits of visitors a month. Now there are 7,000 mm. visitors a month seeking information and trying to, to gain support. And what she tells me that the only way to prevent genetic sexual attraction is to just get it out there. They need to be educated. They need to be educated that this is a possibility and that you can get through it and it will change because the feelings are so intense in the beginning 
and you are doing the bonding process, and somebody needs to help them through this bonding process. But even most of the support groups that are out there, they don't seem to deal well with it, with handling the situation either, so they're not giving them the, the guidance that they need to say, yes, you might feel these things, but it'll pass. You just have to get through those bonding issues and that feeling of needing, needing each other so much, and then it will settle down. It's almost like being on a honeymoon. If you had the same intensity on a, you know, from a honeymoon that you had through your whole marriage, you'd be exhausted. It has to, it has to ease up at times, and it would, this eases up too. And I've known many people that have gotten through this without having a sexual relation and have been glad that they didn't because they still have a good relationship. And then there are people that have had a sexual relationship that still have a good relationship, but they might have had to put up with an awful lot of pain. Well, if education and awareness are important factors here. Mm-hmm. Is that arguably nowhere more so than in Ontario, where they're about to unseal those adoption records and put more people in this potential situation? Absolutely. Like you said, when, when the uh, adoption records are unsealed, more reunions will happen. And this is a warning, definitely not against reunions, but it's really being cognizant of the potential risk of not being, uh, like I said earlier, not being afraid of it, to be able to face it. Barb and many others are so happy that these records are being unsealed for the first time. And People do need to uh, be insured of education and the proper support. The two stories that we heard from in British Columbia, um, this happened when records were unsealed in 1995, um, around 1995, and I was told by an adoption counselor, as soon as the records were unsealed, that's when GSA relationships happen right away, and she counseled these people. So um, GSA is linked with unsealing the records. So... It needs to get out there. People shouldn't be afraid of it. And not just the two people. Family members shouldn't be afraid of it either, that this what may occur and that they should be prepared. And another thing that I want to mention, Bob, is that um, as we have heard these two stories, as we digest and absorb and we reflect as listeners, we need to respect that they brought us their, their stories to us, if anything. I think that's very important. And Aziza, thank you for bringing their stories to us. Thank you. Aziza Sindhu is a producer with CBC Radio.